We all want to feel better, be happier, and have more freedom. And there are endless resources at our fingertips. But wading through a sea of self-help books, podcasts, and workshops takes more time than anyone has. Except me. That's my job. I curate and translate the latest, most effective personal development wisdom to help you elevate your personal experience and improve the way you show up for others. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is Self-Helpful. Calming lifestyle habits for sensitive people. In this episode, I want sensitive people, which we all are to a degree, to hear how an HSP, a highly sensitive person, curates their life to find more peace and wholeness. I was highly interested in this as I'm new to understanding I'm an HSP and I'm working to reorient my life with grace to help me be more at peace and from this be more at peace with others and the world around me. Again, I think everyone will benefit from hearing this because we all have certain sensitivities in certain areas of our lives. I'm back with Andre Solo. He's the force behind Sensitive Refuge, the world's largest website for sensitive people. And he's co-author of the book, Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. I am studying this book. Andre is an author, researcher, and speaker. He's a recognized expert and passionate advocate for sensitive people. And here in this episode, we walk through his values and habits. And as you'll hear, most are configured to support Andre's sensitivities. Remember from our first talk together in the May 17, 2023 episode, sensitive does not mean fragile or delicate. Sensitive means quick to detect or respond to slight changes, signals, or influences. And that means externally and internally. Uh, spiritually, you're going to hear a bunch of uh, aspects in this in this show of Andre's values and habits. And spiritually, he finds that more sensitive people crave meaning from life and may be more prone to pursuits of spirituality. Similarly, they seek out deep, meaningful relationships. And Andre attests to that for himself. And while we didn't really discuss it, I'm betting more sensitive people have fewer but deeper relationships than the norm. I'll have to ask them about that. Uh, regarding health and wellness, Andre said he doesn't live up to his own values here, but he seeks out whole foods. He practices yoga. He goes on bike rides and walks. He admits he's an emotional eater. Um, regarding the mental health, he, of course, guards against overstimulation. And this is a big aspect I'm getting from this topic, as I've always struggled with being overstimulated in certain environments, but I just gripped my teeth and figured it's just my own problem and I'm an intolerant jerk. Uh, I'm trying to have grace on that, and this is helping me. And while I'm not taking the concept you know, to opt out of everything, I am more in mind to budget how much uh, I give myself to overstimulating environments and giving myself recovery time. So this and more in the episode. The Self-Helpful Podcast was founded through the Zig Ziglar Corporation. June 15, 16 of 2023, I'll be in Dallas to attend and speak at the Ziglar Coach Summit. I just posted about this on Facebook. If you're looking to influence people for the better, which I know you are, or you wouldn't be listening to this show, uh, you're going to find great value. I encourage you at least just check out the website, Ziglar dot com slash coach summit. I would be so honored to be with you in person, meet you there. 
Following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life, I bring you Andre Solo and a walk through his values and habits, which you'll hear are cultivated to support his world as a highly sensitive person. Uh, You can find more on Andre and this whole concept at sensitiverefuge.com. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. All right, Andre, this is one uh, I'm interested to hear, of course, your personal take on how you fit in these categories, what you value, what your motives and, and habits are, but then also we'll relate it a little bit to, well, I guess by proxy of doing it with you, we'll hear about a highly sensitive person and how, you know, that may be some differences along the lines or some things that you advocate for. So, uh, this will be, this will be fun. So the first one is spiritual. So, uh, as a component, yes, yeah, spiritual as a, as a primary area of life. Tell me what your uh, what what you value there in that arena. Oh wow, that's a fun one to start with. Yeah. Um, right, so I'm a little weird this way, right? So I I'm I'm actually very religious, uh, but not in any way that people would normally <laughs> picture. Okay. Um, so I, I think most people who are like me would probably say they're spiritual but not religious. But I, I find value in in ritual and community and things like that that uh, maybe fall under more the the religion uh, you know category. Um, but at the same time, you know, my well, many years ago in college, my degree was in philosophy, and I tend to question everything and and uh, you know want to make sure that it's true and accurate and fact based. Um, and so for me, I think a big part of my spirituality has been balancing those two things, right? Where uh, I don't take things literally, you know, I can huh. believe in in a sacred story and take the meaning out of it and understand that it, metaphorically it has a lot of wisdom without, you know, dying on the hill of, and this actually happened, right? So I think in a lot of ways, my my beliefs and my my ideas about the world are probably more similar to what like a lot of scientific atheists would probably believe, but I just really value this overlay of, of emotion and myth and, and spirituality and the and the ritual of religion as a, a thing that's inherently valuable as well in my in my life. So I guess that balance of like knowledge, you know, along with spirituality. Okay, so can I ask then? Is there a certain religion that you align with? Yeah, we're we're gonna yeah, we're gonna yeah, go yeah, there. <laughs> right, right, right. So I'm actually a polytheist, um, which means that I, I believe in many gods, but also not only that, that you know, there's many many different ways of of 
approaching religion or approaching the divine and that all of them are are to some extent valid right so i sort of think of the divine whatever it is it it clearly appears with many different faces uh, to many different peoples and it's not that you know zeus is real and the christian god isn't or vice versa it's that you know the divine appears with these many faces for a reason um and so i i really believe that it's to some benefit to embrace that right and i um being of irish ancestry i'm particularly close to the irish myth and the irish traditions and uh, the irish gods so that's sort of my my path um and which is like kind of unusual, I think, obviously. So, yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, well, let me ask on the, on the, you mentioned ritual is, are there certain ways that you engage with that daily, weekly, consistently your spirituality? Yeah, in that? yeah. So I personally, I make offerings on a regular basis and that's usually just a little bit of incense or, um, you know, if I'm having a meal, I might put a little, a little piece of it aside or, or a little libration, you know, a little bit of, of wine or something into a glass and put that on the shrine. Um, and these are just small gifts. The gods don't need these things from us, but it's just more of a way of, you know, we receive so much from the divine that it's sort of a way of of me giving a little something back and saying thank you or showing my appreciation. And then traditionally what you would do with most of those things after is you might take it out and, you know, pour the wine out on the ground outside. It goes back to the elements. It's just a little bit. Um, or take that morsel of food and put it, you know, outside where the animals can eat it if it's something that's healthy and safe for them to eat. Um, yeah. Or, of course, the incense burns and the smoke kind of goes up into the into the air or maybe up into the sky. Um, so these are kind of symbolic gifts, but it's a way of you take that moment and you sort of are you're giving something to the divine. You know the divine is giving something to you, and that's maybe the moment when you pray or commune. Um, so that's a key practice for me, and I think a lot of polytheists. Um, for me personally, meditation is a really big thing as well. I don't do it every day. I wish I could say I did, um, but I'm I'm inconsistent at best. Uh, but it's very helpful, and I I can see the benefit of it. It really kind of changes the entire day when I when I do meditate in the morning. Um, yeah, those are I think two of the most regular ones. And you know, today we're recording this on May second, and just yesterday, May first, was a big holiday actually for us, which is May Day, is what you know I'll call it now. Uh, it was originally based on a, um, a traditional Irish holiday, and there's kind of the fun things and like the more meaningful things, right? So, um, you know, going outside and and you actually, for May Day, you hang a bunch of ribbons or, or colorful pieces of fabric on, uh, kind of tie them in little knots on, on a tree outside in your yard um, and decorate this tree in many beautiful, bright colors to celebrate the return of, of spring. Um, so that was one of the fun activities I got to do this year. Um, and there's also kind of a fun superstition that you shouldn't give anything away on May 1st, especially ah. um, in the morning. It's if you give it away on that day, you're kind of giving away your luck for the whole year. So the other 364 days of the year, giving things to people is is a good thing to do. But on that one day, it's <laughs> like, okay. And it's like, I don't believe that that actually, I don't believe in luck and that kind of thing. But I just, as a tradition, I like it. And I actually schedule my auto pays for like all my bills to pay on the second of the month if I can. And that way nothing will accidentally go through on the first and like, I won't give anything away. That I day. dig it. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, in our first talk together, I think it was when we were talking about the aesthetic uh, component of, of sensitivity and you, ta- you met, you made some mention of, uh, you know, a, a, I don't know if you said a greater purpose or a greater power, but, but often uh, finding the propensity to find oh, yeah. a bigger meaning. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so that seems to fit in here. I wonder if that would be a consistent trait of the highly sensitive people that they feel a bigger meaning within things. Maybe, or that, maybe that'd be an interesting question. Are, are highly sensitive people more drawn to spirituality? Where would you, 
That's a fun question. So yeah, that's kind of two things, right? So in terms of meaning, the answer is a big yes. Like highly sensitive people are, they crave meaning. And, Mm. you know, that means that highly sensitive people want to live a meaningful life. But it also means that like most highly sensitive people are not happy in a job that doesn't feel meaningful, right? And I think a lot of people can view it as this is just the paycheck and my other stuff is what matters. Um, that's a much harder kind of pact to make for highly sensitive people. We're really driven by meaning. We want our work to, to have some kind of, you know, greater purpose or meaning behind it, which I think is part of why so many highly sensitive people are drawn to things like being a nurse or a doctor or a therapist, where it's like you're clearly helping people as well as nonprofit work and things like that. Um, so meaning is a big, yeah, same thing in relationships, highly sensitive people want a really deep, meaningful relationship or connection with someone, um, rather than a casual connection, which of course is true to all of us for some degree, but it's especially important. I think if you're sensitive, are we more drawn to spirituality? Um, so the scientist in me says, we don't have any data on that. Um, I think the, the lived experience in me says, I do think that most highly sensitive people are are very spiritual. Hmm. Um, whether they're religious or not, I think they're spiritual. It could be that they're Christian. It could be that they're Muslim. It could be that they're Buddhist. It could be that they're, you know, putting together different things of different, you know, things they've learned and, and finding what works for them. Um, it could be that they're agnostic, but they just have a very spiritual, uh, you know, kind of side to them. But yeah, I think highly sensitive people tend to be spiritual in some way. That's interesting. I, I'm going to share this with my brother. He, kind of hit me a few years ago with, he says, yeah, he, he was referring to us, the two of us. He says, yeah, we, we like our rituals. I thought, gosh, that's interesting that, yeah, we tend to find meaning in things and we like to have the ritual. And he, he does some similar things as, as you do. Well, you mentioned relationships, Andre, uh, just now, and that highly sensitive people, which you are, uh, tend to really find deep meaning in relationships. And, and again, I, I don't want to and I know you don't either. It's not holding it up and saying, yeah, and other people don't. They have shallow relationships. That's that's not it. But saying as a as a demographic, highly sensitive people, as well as maybe some other people, but highly sensitive people tend to gravitate towards deep, meaningful relationships. Is that fair depiction? Absolutely. Okay. And so I'll put it to you personally then, you know, when you look at relationships, is that at the uh, gosh, and I ended the last show talking about, and this is in your book, page 123 here, the sensitive person's relationship dilemma. And you talk about some of the aspects of relational propensities for Ooh. HSPs. And I'm going to assume, okay, that lines up for you. So that th- uh, maybe that's it. Here's Andre's list of values. <laughs> Does that answer it? Page 123, but that you go along <laughs> and yeah, you want more downtime than your partner. You may get easily overwhelmed by arguments, uh, yada, yada. So you, does that kind of in line with where you would say, yeah, your values for relationship, I need to be able to talk at a deep level. I need to X, Y, Z. Yes. And yeah, absolutely. Yes. And also I think that that, that thing about how conflict can overwhelm me, that's very true for me. Uh, that's another thing that just as a, as a man who's sensitive, I didn't like to admit that for a long time. You want to kind of think like, oh, I'm never shaken by the arguments and I can handle it. But it's like, no, it actually really, really cuts deep, even if it's well-intended. Um, and when it becomes tense and starts to escalate in any way, I, I, you know, it's, it's overstimulating. It's emotionally overstimulating, if nothing else. Um, and my sensitive system can't process well in overstimulating circumstances. So actually my, my most recent partner, I'm a single, single dad currently, but my most recent partner, I remember, uh, you know, telling her like, look, anytime, anytime you're upset about something, if you can tell me what it is and then like, 
once we've talked about it a little bit, if I say, hey, can I get some time to think about this? If you're like, yes, you can have, yeah, absolutely. And you back off 95% of the time, I'm going to come to you the next morning and be like, yeah, you're right. Actually, I'll change the way I do that. Or yeah, you're right. That's fine. We can do that your way. I, I probably really don't care that much and can probably, or I can see my own fault in it or whatever it might be. And I can probably just like come back to you with the answer you want nine times out of 10 if you can do that, right? But if you're if you want the answer now and I'm feeling overwhelmed and flustered, it's gonna be really hard for me to get to that point. It's like my my thinking is just like completely shutting down and I'm just, you know, almost feeling a sense of panic about this tension and this fight that we're having. Um and that's something that I've found to be very true for myself. Uh, yeah, I would say that for sure. Well, that, and so again, I'm going to, I think that that's again, how I ended our first show together. And I'm going to do it again right here though, for folks who feel like they may be, you know, fairly sensitive or literally HSP, highly sensitive person that you've got a list here that I'm looking at and going, my gosh, yeah, I need to talk with my wife. Uh, you know, and maybe some of my kids, maybe my business partner about some of these things, because like that, I've always struggled with that. Andre, that yeah, we get into a conflict that something comes up, and man, I just I, I can't keep up. I need some time to my my term was I got I give me some time to process that. I'm a I feel like a uh, kind of a crock pot with my emotions. I got, I don't even know what I, I don't know what I'm feeling or thinking. Give me I, give me some time to to work through this, and especially if there's any heat to the discussion at all, I'm overwhelmed, and that doesn't feel well to be sexist. It doesn't feel manly, does it? In the con mm. in the cultural context, at least. Yeah, yeah, right. You worry you worry you're failing as a man if that's if that's the case. But and you're not. You're not at all. But that's the feeling you have. I think yeah. a lot of the time. Ah, interesting. All right, health and wellness is the next one. Uh, this yes. is probably the most tangible, uh, you know, e- e- or easier one to just to hit on the basics. But so when you look at your own health and wellness, and I ask you, okay, what do you value there, Andre? What what bubbles to the surface? This is one where I I don't live up to my value, right? So what I would want to say I value is discipline about that kind of stuff, right? Because there's just almost nothing more important than maintaining your health and wellness. It should be the top priority, uh, you know, for me and for most people. Um, but the reality is I'm not good at following through on that. Um, I And this isn't because I'm a highly sensitive person. This is just me and my idiosyncrasies. Sure, sure. Uh, what I know about myself is I'm very good – at pushing through something uncomfortable, right? Like if I have to uh, sweat hard on something or if I have to skip a meal because we're, we're running out of time to go do this or if I have to go through a long, uncomfortable thing for that or, you know, whatever it might be, that's fine. I can grip my teeth and push myself through it. Uh, what I am terrible at is self-control around things that are, you know, pleasurable but not healthy for me, right? So uh, I don't eat one cookie. I'll eat eight cookies, right? I want the second slice of cake, right? I, it's, it's, it just goes across the board for things that are really not that healthy for you or are only healthy in moderation. Uh, I just have to be really, really, really careful about that. And the one, you know, and it's, I, I've never had a, a, a drug addiction um, and I drink socially. I think I've, I've really... I've never, I've never been an alcoholic, but I certainly did work on like, you know, just like you'll have extra cookies, you'll have extra beers if you don't think about it. So let's rein that in. Um, so that's in check. That's no problem. But I think especially when it comes to food, I'm an emotional eater and especially sweets. I have a real sweet tooth. Hmm. So it's something I've worked on throughout my life. And I had sort of 
put a lot of self-development work into it in my late 20s and really kind of had it sorted out for a lot of my 30s. And then as you hit toward 40 and your body starts to change and you got a lot more going on, I've got a kid now, so it's like hard to take the time to work out or it's hard to take the time to make a healthy meal that's going to take longer than just microwaving something uh, or picking up something to go. Well, what do you know? Those habits started to fall apart again. So it's something I'm working on right now is to get back on being healthier and, and happier with that part of myself. I'm going to ask about, well, you know what, let, let me just, I'll, I'll hit some of the details here real quick. And then I'm going to come to another piece that you just said, but um, is there any like nutritional dietary structure that you try to adhere to or things? Yeah, I try to eat more of that or that or less of that. Or do you have any kind of a, well, just a structure? Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I, <laughs> now versus when I was more together with this, um, I'll say this. I think that one of the big priorities for me is to eat uh, whole foods of different kinds, right? I am very comfortable making a scratch meal. I'm a good cook. So if I can make the time, I would much, much, much rather start chopping up vegetables and, you know, that kind of stuff to make something that's actually made of whole ingredients and not get processed stuff. And that's, I think that's been really helpful for me. Um, I, I am very good about eating a lot of vegetables. That's good too. Um, I don't have a strict dietary thing I follow, and I think that's part of what I'm working on changing right now. I think my my ideal is I'd like to follow the um, – have you heard of the MIND diet, M-I-N-D? No, and I've heard about every one of them. Uh, no. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the so this is okay. – like this is a scientifically like that doctors put together and like – took the two most evidence-based like diets, right? There's the Mediterranean diet, which uh-huh. is for longevity. And there's another one that I forget the name of that was specifically developed as like, this is the best diet for heart health and et cetera, et cetera. And they basically were like, well, let's look at these that we already know from the evidence work and, and get really good results and they're healthy and they're not yo-yo diets. Um, and then let's see if we could adapt these to be for brain health, for cognitive health, Right. And that's a big concern for me because first of all, I'm a writer for a living yeah. and my brain is like, you know, how I make my living and it's how my source of joy is what I can do with thinking and that kind of stuff, right? So I would like to minimize any decline it'll have as I age. And the other thing is, um, there are several members of my family who developed Alzheimer's when they're older. That doesn't oh, wow. mean I will, but I might, right? So it's, you can't cure Alzheimer's when you have it, but there's a lot of things you can do to reduce the the chance of getting it or to reduce how how quickly and how bad it gets. Huh. Um, so I'm very interested in the mind diet. So developed this by combining the Mediterranean diet a few other things that were evident, and they did a bunch of testing on it. It's like, oh, this works really well, as far as we know. Um, and it's not the hardest diet to follow, right? Like a lot of the Mediterranean diet inspired stuff is easy to do, uh, but it takes some discipline. And that's where I've been, you know, kind of gearing up right now, I would say, to be better about following that and, uh, and put that into practice. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, 
but getting them to actually give their payment info is. And Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all on Yahoo Finance is an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they were hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. I'd say I'm, I'm, I pulled it up here on Healthline. I'm reading about it. Oh, and I would yeah. say I am probably 90% right. That's what I eat. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I like this. So, no, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, it said uh, uh, Mediterranean intervention for neurodegenerative delay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, this is great. I, I'm glad I asked. Um, I think the next immediate step I'll take will just be to cut cut back on the sweets, and then yeah. once that's in place and it's a habit that's sticking, then I think I'll try to actually follow the mind diet. Oh, excellent. How about on the exercise side? Anything that you do for just movement that you try to be consistent with? Yeah, that's a little easier for me. So uh, I the things I love are yoga. I do Ashtanga yoga, which is um, 
really intense, brutal yoga. Like it's not, uh, I shouldn't say brutal. It's a, it's a wonder. It's actually, you feel great afterward and it's a calming like practice, like all yoga, but it, the practice of doing it, like when you're on the mat, I don't think it looks like what most people picture yoga looking like. And I'll just be drenched in sweat after an hour as if I had just spent an hour, like, you know, lifting iron in the gym or, or running or something. Uh, so it's a, it's a real full body thing. And I love Ashtanga. Um, I also love to go for walks or bike rides and I will go oh, yeah. for, um, now it's getting nicer outside. I can do bike rides more again. Uh, but, uh, even in the winter, I'll go for like a three hour walk if I can make the time, you know, just do it and either listen to a podcast or just be alone with my thoughts or maybe call a friend and have a deep conversation. And it's nice because you can do that for your mind while at the same time you're walking for your body. Uh, so I love that. Um, what I haven't been as good at is actually going to the gym. Um, and that's something that has fallen by the wayside with being a busy single dad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to carve out the time to be like, okay, at least let's say at least two days a week to start with, I'll go to the gym, you know, do some time in the elliptical with the podcast going, do some basic weightlifting, um, just basic stuff. And then if we can build it up to three or more times a week later, that's great. But just something to maintain would be good. Well, here's a question that I I wanted to get through those, but a question that I've got for you, you mentioned emotional eating. And as we look at, again, HSP, highly sensitive people who tend to feel more is that a, gosh, I, a relevant question, I would say, is there a propensity towards maybe that emotional eating and maybe even addictive behaviors as they try to calm, mm. medicate, whatever? Right. I, I don't think there's any evidence linking sensitivity with addiction. Um, and I I could see it kind of... I, I don't think it's likely to be like any more likely for HSP. On the one hand, I think that there are sensitive people who will use alcohol as an, you know, and probably other drugs, but um, as a way to deal with overstimulation, right? And I think that I've probably done that when I was younger too, is um, if I'm at a, a busy crowded bar and all my friends hype to say, oh, we're going to go have so much fun, da, 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 and I go out, maybe I like all the people there, but it's just like it's it's overstimulating. It's just it's a lot going on. It's crowded, loud, et cetera. You have to yell to hear, hear people or to be heard. Um, it's not pleasant. Well, what I want to do is leave because I'm overstimulated. But if you don't know that about yourself yet, then you you just maybe start drinking more because it dulls the senses sure. and makes less, you know, and you're like, oh, now this is easy and fun. Um, so I think there's a risk factor there. But I also know that a lot of sensitive people are very aware of how alcohol and drugs affect their body. You know, there's a a common thing I'll hear from HSPs is that they feel that medication actually affects them more than it affects other people. So they want to take lower doses of things or they're very wary of taking medication, Mm. even if it's prescribed. Um, I don't know that there's evidence proving that that it's true, but it makes sense. And it's a commonly reported experience. So they might just take one ibuprofen tablet instead of two, or they might get, you know, uh, feel the side effects of something more than somebody else might. And I think that leads similarly to marijuana, alcohol, you know, ecstasy, other drugs you might be very wary of. And I know a lot of HSPs who are wary of taking that because it's likely to affect you more than it would affect someone else. So it kind of is like it could go either way, I'd say. Yeah. But I, what I will say is um, highly sensitive people have strong, rich emotions on average, um, but we we are not born with higher than average emotional intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. Emotional intelligence is a skill. It's not something you're born with. It's actually a set of skills. Um, and sensitivity can help with that. I like to think of it this way. Um, emotional intelligence is basketball, and being sensitive is being tall. Hmm. 
Right? Like, yeah, if you're tall and you practice basketball, you might really have an edge. But just because you're tall doesn't mean you know how to do anything on the court. You have to train and practice, right? Interesting. Um, similarly, for highly sensitive people, you can really be an emotional intelligence superstar if you practice those skills. Um, but if you don't practice those skills, there's actually some evidence to suggest that highly sensitive people might have a, a tougher time dealing with emotional regulation than less sensitive people. Um, they're not the superstars of emotional regulation because the emotions are bigger and more likely to overwhelm. So I think if an HSP, if a sensitive person does not put the time in to find healthy ways to deal with their emotions, and I didn't learn any healthy ways to do it growing up, um, then we find unhealthy ways to do it. It could be emotional eating. It could be stress drinking. It could be, um, you know, it could be things that seem healthy on the outside, but are like really not like hitting the gym way too hard too often. Right. And like, it's not good for your body at a certain point. Um, things like that, that you find a way to deal with the emotions without doing it in a healthy way. And for me, that's stress eating. So it's something I've been working on for a while. That's so interesting. Mine would be stress exercising, just run, ride, yeah. whatever. And, right. and I finally had a therapist say, don't go on a run or ride, sit with the emotion. Yeah. Figure it out. All right. Okay. The next one, uh, Andre is mind, mental health, uh, yeah. even mental state. And this one I'm interested in with you because as an HSP, and as we talked about, I mean, we mentioned it here, but talked about in the first, our first talk, the propensity to be overstimulated, especially by this world that we live in. Uh, has got to be a part in that. So, but I'll, I'll put it to you again, when you look at that mental health and your mental state, where would you say, okay, these, these are my values. This is what you're trying to maintain. Yeah. Right. Ooh. Um, so wisdom is an important thing for me. I, I really value wisdom. I, which I, which I conceive of as like not intelligence, but as, um, some combination of being really aware of things and getting to the bottom of things and then having good judgment, right? Mm. Like seeing the whole picture and then having good judgment. That's really important to me just in terms of my mind in general, hmm. um, for my mental health. So I, I do have a therapist. I think everyone should have a therapist. Um, actually funny enough, going back to relationships for a second, my, my plan, right? The next time I, I have the, uh, inclination to get into a relationship. We'll see how the other person receives this. But what I would like to do is not on the first date, not the second date, read it, but once you like, we're dating, right? Mm -hmm. But still in the early phases, a couple months in or something, just say, hey, I think we should get a couple of therapists right now while we're happy. And when we don't have any big problems, we need to go talk about yeah. and just go do a session with them once and then set up like a, just a, maybe a once a month and do like preventative maintenance, you know, and That's, like work on yeah. the relationship equivalent of personal development, right. Of like, we're already good, but let's get even better rather than waiting till there's a problem and just try to get back up to good. Um, so that's my plan with that. But I, similarly, I think for individual, I, I think having a therapist is a good idea if you can. Um, so I have a therapist, I meditate when I can, I haven't been, I've been a little spotty as I mentioned. Um, but the other thing is I, I really try to focus on my sense of purpose hmm. and because there's a million things that are going to try to grab your attention, try to pull your life in different directions, competing priorities, competing demands, different opportunities, different fears and anxieties. And uh, to cut through it, what I do is, is I, especially I'll do this right before I meditate um, or right after uh, but I'll try to just do this on its own in the morning if I can, which is to remind myself, what's my purpose in life, hmm. right? And we all have a purpose and we can all choose what that is. It's not stamped on you by karma or fate or anything else. It's you can choose your purpose. For me, 
uh, the purpose is a couple parts. Um, for uh, <laughs> how would I put this? For um, for myself personally, my purpose is to cultivate inner peace. Hmm. Um, for my career, my purpose is to make writing that matters. And for my personal life, my purpose is to do the best job possible for my son. That's it. Like, those are the only three things I have to get done in this life. Make writing that matters, do the best job possible for my son, and cultivate inner peace, right? So if I remind myself of that as my purpose in the morning, then a lot of times, almost anything that comes up in the day that I might, maybe I'm like, oh, God, I can't deal with that and that, or, oh, should I do this or not, or they want me to do that, and I'm not sure, or whatever it might be, I can go back to those and say, well, is this about making writing that matters? Is it involved my son? And is it going to bring me inner peace? If it's not relevant to those three things, I can say no. I can just be like, I'm not doing that. And it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> or or I can give in and be like, you know what? That's fine. We'll do it your way. Like, because I don't have to die on this hill if it's not about those three things. Like, sure, we'll compromise on that. No problem. Um, but if it's about one of those three things, then I have to do what I know is the, the right course in my heart, right? Do make the time for the writing, you know, do stand up for my son, do uh, take the time and to cultivate the inner peace and do things in my life that will do that. But to the point of being a sensitive person, the biggest thing that I think helps our, our, our mental health and our overall well-being in general uh, is part of what I do for that cultivating inner peace, which is to control your environment. Hmm. Your sensitive person, number one thing you need to do is take control of your environment, uh, your work environment to the extent you can, whether that means, you know, finding that that private, like less noisy place to work during the day, whether it means talking to your boss about, um, you know, I, I do my best work when I'm able to focus without a lot of distractions for a couple hours at a time. Uh, when's a good time for me to schedule that during the week where I won't be checking email and I'll just be focusing on one project really deeply, right? Taking control of your environment at work, um, taking control of your environment at home, having a quiet place in the house that you know this is my sensitive sanctuary. This is where I go to when I need to just come down from overstimulation and communicating to your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your roommate, your family, whoever it is, and saying, hey, when I'm in this chair looking out the window or when I'm having my tea in the morning doing this or when I'm in my craft room or whatever it is, don't bother me. Don't talk to me. Like if it's an emergency, sure. If the house is burning down, sure. But otherwise, I need that 20 minutes. I need that hour, whatever it is. Yeah. That's my daily ritual. And I'll be at my best for you if I get it. So taking control of your environment is a big one for me. That's great. And I would, I would venture to say then budgeting when you know you can't control, like you said, okay, I'm going to go out for some friends. They're going to go out to a place. It's going to be crazy, but yeah. I'm going to let them know ahead of time, man, I'm good for like an hour. We'll have dinner. Yeah. Great to see you guys. And then if you want to, you know, we can get together back at my place on a quiet living room if you want to. Absolutely. Uh, okay. And I do the Irish goodbye now. And I grew up thinking this was the rudest thing. I would, I was like, oh, I would never do that. Where you just, you just leave without telling anyone from an event or whatever it is. But I was like, you know, actually, this is genius. Um, and it, I found it doesn't offend anyone. They are never upset, right? And it's got this. It's such a great move because if you're finding you're overstimulated or worn out, and you just need to leave or just not liking or whatever, you just don't say goodbye and you just slip out, and no one begs you to stay. No one says, oh, wait, wait, we're going to do this thing next. Uh, no one wants to come with you. Uh, no one says, okay, okay, we'll all say goodbye first and takes 40 minutes doing that. Yeah. You just get out. 
It's great for your mental health. It's a nice little way to set a boundary. There would be cases where I wouldn't do it, right? If it's an important work function or I'm expected to do a thing there or something like that. Of course, I'm going to live up to my obligations. But for most social occasions, you can Irish goodbye and just bounce without telling anyone. And they'll either like be fine with it or they'll actively think it's cool. So interesting. All right. That's a new, that's a new thing for my quiver An Irish goodbye. I've not done that. Go. I got to yeah. try, I got to try that. Uh, work, career, business. That's the next category here. And you already said that a value apparently is make writing that matters. So that's is that yeah. top of the list, literally. So your work value, top of the list. Everything I do needs to be aimed at that. And it, and then if it's something that I hate doing, or if it's like a weird, like, you know, corporate thing or a bunch of administrative stuff I got to get done or a little small, annoying details that I don't love to deal with or whatever it is, I can get through it if it's going to lead to that, if it's about making writing that matters, right? Okay. But if it's not about that, then I have to get the writing that matters done first. And I have to prioritize having that creative time and or that research time to really do something that you know, where I'm creating material that is going to help people or matter to people in some way, you know, it's going to improve the world or their lives in some way. And your time is spent at sense, most of it work-wise sensitive refuge, uh, com. Obviously, you know, you're writing your own books as, as you are here and, and doing that, but at, at sensitive refuge.com, which I, I type that in and then the URL comes up as highly sensitive refuge. So I guess, yeah, they both are. go to the same place. Okay. Yeah. We rebranded, uh, recently to just sensitive refuge. It's a oh. little, little shorter, easier to say and remember. So got it. Got it. Okay. And so in that is writing a primary, that's your methodology of yeah. The, okay. yeah, I'm an author, and then and I and I uh, run HSR Sensitive Refuge along with uh, uh, it's co-owned with actually my co-author of the book Jen Graneman, and we co-own another website as well. It's for introverts, um, and between those two websites and just the actual like book writing and things like that, I do that's that's pretty much what my work time is you know spent doing or things that support that right uh, in different ways. So it's not always the same schedule every day. I wish it were, but it's it's a little more all over the place. But it's largely work that's either fun uh, or that is hard but worth it. And that's the best kind of work to do. Well, tell me about that as we talked about the you know, your environment, controlling your environment. You talked about that just in our previous category here. Yeah. How have you done that with your work? What's your work day and environment look like? Yeah. Right. So one thing I've noticed uh, for myself, and this goes back to being aesthetically sensitive, uh, is that just the beauty uh, of the environment matters a lot to me. Uh, having a I, I do like the plants in the background there. I see that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is not just a backdrop. This is like part of my little office space and the whole area kind of looks like this. I've got a lot of natural sunlight. It's kind of in that front sunroom. The curtains are closed right now. but um, And that's it's important. I need to have natural light. And a sense of like peace and beauty in the place I'm working. Here, there's my plant. You got that? There we, oh, go. There we go. Okay, there you go. And <laughs> that's a, that's a little. I got a really big one over here that the other camera sees. You can't see it. So well, just is that so like a like a tamarack or something? It looks like a like a it's a kind of pine. it's a pine. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's a pine. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, it's very Colorado of you too. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Okay, so aesthetics. I I interrupted there, but aesthetics is a yeah. Big, no. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so that's a big one. Um, and then managing my time has been a constant battle. Part of that's because I'm I'm self employed, um, and <laughs> uh, I've. Been- 
it's a hard adjustment. And I think a lot of people have gone through that in this, to some degree because a lot more people have gone to remote working now. Even yeah, if they're not self-employed, they might be working remotely for at least part of the week. Um, and similarly, you have to manage your time, and it's kind of on you to do so. It's a real learning curve. Uh, so I've gotten good at that over the years to some extent, but also you're never perfect at it. And especially when you know you have a business, we have the website Sensitive Refuge, and unexpected things can come up. Uh, and of course, with creative work, it might be one day you need to do a lot of research, another day is a lot of writing, another day is meetings, another day is editing. Uh, it's not just the same template you can follow every day. Um, what I do find is that there are certain things I need to build into the day, right? Um, that kind of make it work. Whenever possible, I like to use the first session in the morning before I do anything else to do just creative work. Yeah, that could be creative for the book, could be creative for something else, but um, needs to be the first thing possible. The first thing, if possible, because whatever is later in the day tends to get pushed back when other things come up. And if I do that with my creative work, then I'm not making writing that matters. Yeah, so that's a big priority for me. Um, but then. Before I start work, I'm not a morning person. I'm a night person. If I could, I would be up till two or three in the morning every night, sleep till 10. And But if I did that, my life would be a disaster because that's not how the rest of the world works. Um, instead, I have to really confine my morning of like, I'll get up at this time and then I'm going to do these things before I start work. And they're mostly things that give me a little bit of pleasure, right? Like I can sit down and read something over my coffee before I start actually working rather than like grabbing breakfast, grabbing coffee and going to work. It's like I need to have that space before I start so that my mind is like, okay, I guess I can put up with morning uh, before I try to do something useful. And then I do the creative work if I can. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's a big part of it for me, but that's very different. If, if a sensitive person is working a, a job, I think a much bigger part of it is learning boundaries yeah. and learning how to express, how to communicate about your sensitivity, because it's not going to get you very far. If you go to your boss and say, I'm a highly sensitive person. I need us to redesign the office to have private offices for everyone. That's not going to go anywhere, but you can, you can say something like I said earlier, like, Hey, I'm, I'm a, I'm pretty sensitive to my environment. That's a nice way to put it. Mm -hmm. So I get overstimulated easily. And that means I do my best work when I have quiet time. Is it all right if I start using the conference room when it's not in use to do blah, 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 or is it all right if I could switch to two days a week of remote work? And then I have that, that quiet concentration time, or I'm at my best when I can work for like a couple hours straight on one thing with no email, no distractions, When's the best time during the week to schedule that? And that's connecting it to their interest, right? Because you're going to do better work, produce produce more, produce better output, and you're putting it in a very professional way. So communicating those kinds of things and then really paying attention to your, your corporate culture at the place you work because there's a lot of times when you're going to have to keep working a job that's unpleasant for various reasons. But if the culture is toxic, you should be job hunting. You don't have to quit tomorrow because that's risky, but you should be actively shopping for the next job if your workplace has gotten toxic. Well, and like we talked about with relationships, going through the details, the bullet points in the book, so many different sections you have is a great place to, yeah, not only to say, okay, my relationships are going to flourish best in, in this type, you know, with this type of person who can handle this type of, of, of aspect of me, same thing in work. You can make a great work list. If you're going to flourish in the workplace, this is what's going to fit you best, which again, Andre, I didn't have the clarity of knowing this, but I, it very much belies why I have gone the direction I have of being an entrepreneur 
And and, yeah, and, yes. and in that say, way, I'd say I work as a solopreneur. I'm generally by myself. Right. I have right. people, I mean, there's a whole team now of people, you know, involved in all of this, but they're not in my office. They're not in my home office and they're doing their thing elsewhere because for me to get the best out of myself, I figured this out. Now this is going to help even more and, you know, it helps show that. But for somebody who is going to be in a workplace, what a great thing to have for your job hunting to say, Hey, this is how I'm going to flourish best. What kind of an environment? I see that we look at what benefits we're going to get, what pay we're going to get, what kind of a title we're going to have. And we don't say, okay, what's the actual environment going to be like that I'm going to be working in. Absolutely. And it's one of the hardest things to gauge before you start working there, yeah. right? So the more time you can get those in-person, tour through the office kind of interviews, that's good. If you can, um, places like Glassdoor that give reviews of, a, of yeah. an employer that can be useful. Um, and then you're know, really thinking about the questions you're going to ask and and asking about culture and not just like, what's the culture like? And they say something positive and you're like, okay, thanks. But like, ask your concrete questions, you know? Um, and <laughs> this is something that I think could work uh, really well for that that stage of the the job interviewing process, where you can tell that they're you must be near the top of the list. They brought you in a couple times, and now you got to think about how they're interviewing for you too. You want to yeah. see if they're the right fit for you. Um, give them either ors, you know. Say, hey, is this place more of a, um, you know, is is this role or is this team or whatever it is, is it more oriented around uh, everyone working collaboratively on something or more oriented around uh, people being kind of uh, self-starters and going out and getting something done on their own. Great. Question. There's no way you can say it's both. And if they do, it's, they're going to have to back that up a little bit. Well, it's for this position, it's more of this, but for this, it's this, you know, that's fine. Uh, so generally speaking, they're going to give you an honest answer, right? Or a mostly honest answer. Um, come up with a few dichotomies like that, that don't directly ask, you know, is this going to be a good fit for me, but that kind of force them to pin down, right? Is, what's your, what's your, my, what's your management style? Are you more of a, give me a checklist of things you want done and I'll go do it my way and bring it back? Or are you more of like a, you want things done by a certain process that you have done yourself? Um, it's either one is fine. Neither of those is bad, but you'll know which one works better for you, right? Those are good things to ask. That's great. I love the thing on, you know, being collaborative, not that this is a, an HSP issue, but with me, you know, in my collaborative, well, sure. We have a whole team. I do this thing. They do that thing, but I don't work. Right, like, yeah. You're not going to come with me and do my thing. That's not, yeah. that's a different kind of collaboration. Absolutely. Uh, so, and so a lot of people might be looking for the opposite. I mean, it's like yeah. collaboration is good in theory, but they might be looking for, oh, we, we meet, plan something, and then we each go do our thing. Maybe that's what you want, especially if you're an introvert, something like that. Yeah. You know, that's, Oftentimes preferable. That's great. Uh, next category, Andre, is money, finances, wealth. Yeah. Yeah. So right. tell me the values. They're obviously aligns with work, but tell me, tell me where the values lie. Yeah, I think this is something that's changed a bit for me over the course of my life, which I think is normal for a lot of people. I think, uh, you know, when I was younger, very risk-friendly and, of course, took a really big risk by putting my career and, um, you know, going as a freelance writer at first, which eventually led to my work now and having the website and being an author. Um, so it's kind of changed over life. But um, somebody I really respect once said, and she just said this out of hand, just like, just like as not even the main point she was talking about. She just mentioned it in passing that she was like, debt is the devil. Hmm. That is the devil. And I think of that often. And I, I made a point years ago to get debt free. 
Um, it was not easy. I had to work off a lot of, of you know, things. Um, it took a lot of time, a lot of planning, a lot of budgeting, but I worked that off. And uh, that's something that's important to me. It's not that I won't take. I mean, I have a mortgage on my home, right? Um, I do have credit cards that I, I pay off every month because I want to get the frequent flyer miles off of them by using it for everything. Um, and uh, there's other things that I, you know, it's like, oh, for the right reason, I could see taking a business loan or taking a this. That's fine. It's completely fine. Um, but I'm extremely thoughtful about it, right? And I would rather not carry any debt if I can. Um, now, by contrast, I would say this, that I also believe in any extra money you have laying around, I want it invested if possible, right? Mm. I I have a savings account. I don't like to keep a ton in it. Um, I think a lot of people keep their nest egg in a savings account. I basically right now with inflation is at what, 6%, 8%, depending on what month we're talking about. Um, if your money is sitting somewhere that earns less than 6% or 8% interest, you're losing money every year, Right. Um, so it's become very important to me to keep things at, at least, even if I'm keeping it in a lower risk, lower yield thing, right? Even if we just get it up to 3% or 5%, well, I'm not losing as much money for my nest egg that I want to keep as an emergency fund. And then as much as possible, I want my money working for me and being invested in, you know, the NASDAQ or something where I'm going to watch it fall horribly and, you know, chew my fingernails. But I'll know that over 10 years, it'll end up paying off far more than other things. So stuff like that. So I believe in investing as much as possible. Um, yeah, I guess that's my philosophy. Last one here is interests, your personal interest, the things that you do. It doesn't have to be. I like to preface it if it happens to fit the things that you do that are in essence, non-productive. You're not doing that, even though you may feel like they're highly productive overall, but they're non-productive. So it could be, you know, hobbies, interests that you, that you have, or just things that you do. This is what I do to inspire myself. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Oh, that's so fun. Um, so, so okay. So first off, real one really nerdy one, which is Dungeons and Dragons. Love Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, big D and D player. Uh, oddly, I did not grow up on it. I started playing in my twenties, and I just can't get enough of it. So I have a gaming group that I go to every other week. I've got a couple other groups that are more you know sporadic, or I'll drop in in a game here and there. Uh, I love running the games as well. Uh, sometimes I'll design games just for fun, like, you know, adventures to run or new rule systems or whatever it might be. Uh, so D&D. And that, I think, uh, by no means are all sensitive people D&D players. I don't think there's an overlap there. But I will say that the fact that it plays to creativity and uh, at the same time, like, you know, this wonderful sense of a team dynamic and group uh, connection that you get with the other people there. I think it's a really fun, nice, rewarding thing for sensitive people. I also, I firmly believe this. So one of the things that NASA has been researching in recent years is uh, if we're going to send people sooner or later, like send human beings all the way to Mars, and it's going to be a multi-year trip there and back, and they're going to be alone with just like five or six people with this tiny cramped quarters, like we can handle their food, their water, their oxygen, et cetera, even their teamwork by selecting people the right way. But what about just being bored? What can we do that will allow them to not be bored? And I, if anyone from NASA is listening, the answer is Dungeons and Dragons. The answer is a role play <laughs> game. It wow. is the only game in the universe where it will never get old. Like it's yeah. like if you play Monopoly every day for three years, you're going to hate Monopoly and never want to see the board again. If you play D and D every day for three years with your fellow astronauts and you're going on a fantasy mission that has nothing to do with Mars uh, and working together there and having fun and blowing off steam, 
uh, you'll come back from that trip wanting to do another three years playing D&D, even if you're not going to Mars again. So strongly believe that. Uh, I, I, I do have to comment on that. So I, I had no exposure to, to D&D. And when I was a kid growing up in the Bible Belt of the South, it was you're, D&D, yeah. you're, you're going to go to hell. That's, that, was my, that was my exposure to it. So fast forward now, and at some point, um, my, uh, one of my daughter's boyfriends was into it, and my, some of my sons got into it. And they play. Interestingly enough, it's the one that we talked about in the first uh, our first talk together. My I, the guy that I think is an HSP, right? He he enjoys it the most. Uh, he really does. And it's been interesting to watch that. And they'll get in, they'll come back. They, some of the older kids will come back. They'll spread it out on the rec room floor, and they're just doing their thing for hours. I have, and I, again, I've, I've not really exposed myself to it, so uh, I'll have to tell them today that I was with a a D and D advocate today. Ask him to, to GM a game for you sometime. Okay. okay. Yeah. Ask him to run a game that you play in. Even if it's just a one session, but be, I think you'll enjoy it. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. That's different. I think the other thing that uh, is a big uh, hobby of mine is uh, I actually grow houseplants. And this I a see them behind of, you, yeah. Yeah, but I have like, oh, I was going to say 40. It's probably like 50 plants by now yeah. throughout my house. Um, and I actually, I like intentionally chose this hobby like a few years ago because I, I realized, you know, that what I do for a living is all sit at the computer and, and focus on that. And then my other my outside of work time, I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to write a short story. I'm going to sit at a computer and do that. You know, or I'm going to like plan a D and D game. So I'm going to sit at a computer and do that. That's like, dude, even your hobbies are sitting at a computer. Like you need to have a <laughs> hobby. That's something where you're just moving your body and not looking at a screen. Right. Um, and I decided, you know, what would be relaxing and fun and, and easy to add to my life would be growing plants. So now I just have dozens and dozens and dozens of house plants everywhere and take care of them and have learned things like how to propagate them from leaf cuttings and uh, how to deal with different pests and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's kind of a fun, like, peaceful activity that brings me a little bit of joy each week as I work on them. So, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I have, I have one Andre. I, I've never been involved in plants, but when you showed me, that's it. No, well, no, that, okay. That's in my office. No, I've got these okay, things, okay. but you no, know, at home, my home, my home office, I've got one, somehow it ended up mine and it's a, an African violet. And the thing, oh, it blooms so beautifully. And I get good. Everybody thinks I'm great. All I do is just, I water it. It must be just how much love I give the thing. Uh, so yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for it. Well, yeah, they look, great. They, look great. they look great. Yeah. They look great in your background, man. That That's great. Hey, thank you. Thanks for the, the, this, the candor and the behind the scenes. And yeah, it gives me again, more insight with you as an HSP and relating some of these uh, aspects of our lives to it, how we can orient to better serve ourselves and, and others through that. So, man, thank you. Thanks for what you do. Thank you for the time. I'm the greatest beneficiary here, but I'm grateful to give this to the audience and I hope it speaks. I know it will to a lot of people who can benefit further uh, from their sensitivity. So thank you, Andre. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. Recording stopped. I trust this episode gave many of you some ideas on how to better organize your life around some of your sensitivities in order to give you more peace and inner calm, which will serve everyone around you. Andre's book again is Sensitive, The Hidden Power of the Highly Sensitive Person in a Loud, Fast, Too Much World. And you can connect with him and all the info on this topic further at sensitiverefuge.com. 
thank you so much for tuning into the Self-Helpful Podcast, where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends.